Turn in your Bibles this evening to Paul's epistle, the second epistle to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, begin reading in verse 16, reading down through chapter 5 and verse 8. So let's give our attention now to the word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put, our hev- put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God. Who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Thus far, God's holy word. Let's pray together. Father, it is easy for us to read these words like many other passages of Scripture, but not truly grasp them, not live in light of them. We pray that you would bring your word home to our hearts this night and enable us to live lives not only that will glorify you, but will say to the world around us, we're longing for something better, our heavenly home. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning we began this short series of sermons on the doctrine of heaven. In that first message, for those of you who were here, we pointed out that there is a great deal of misunderstanding, misinformation, when it comes to the subject of heaven. Everything from believing that in the end, because God is a God of love, basically everybody's going to heaven. Coming all the way down to some of the strange and unusual ideas that come out of people's so-called deathbed experiences. And we pointed out this morning that All that we hear so frequently about these deathbed experience 
do not parallel, they do not resemble any single event where God makes himself known to people in an extraordinary way. Every time that veil between this world and the next is pulled back, God and his glory is front and center. As a matter of fact, as as uh, Alexander McLaren speaks of Psalm 45 and, and describing the Messiah, the coming king, and he says this canvas has no room for soldiers because the king is everything. And when we see men, when they see into the heavenly realm, every single time, there's no room for anything else. Not people, not animals, not anything that we might think is going to be our great delight in heaven. It's the glory of God that we want to focus on. Now, in addition to warning you to build your theology, your concept of heaven on nothing but the word of God, we looked at several ways particularly images that God uses to teach us about heaven. So the first one we talked about this morning from John 14 was the Father's house, the place where God dwells, God's home, and it will be our home when we get there. And then we looked at the heavenly country, that God provides. And lastly, we looked at the way to get there. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Now this evening, I want to try and to formulate an even clearer understanding of this place called heaven. And to do that by showing this overwhelming emphasis upon eternal things. This this place called heaven is characterized first and foremost by the presence of Christ. It's being present with the Lord is the way Paul describes it. And we're going to look at three particulars tonight. The first is heaven and the biblical use of the word. Now, if we're going to deal intelligently with the data we find in Scripture, we have to recognize that Scripture uses the term heaven in different ways and to describe different places. There are three particulars, three particular ways in which this is used. Scriptures speak of three different heavens. The one is, or the first, is the atmospheric heaven. It's the sky. It's the place where the birds fly through the heavens. It's the place where the clouds are formed in the heavens. It is the atmosphere of the earth that the scripture is describing. 
And so when, when the scriptures speak of this heaven, we read, for instance, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 2, after the flood, and God says, the windows of heaven were stopped. In other words, it stopped raining. Rain stopped falling out of the clouds that were in heaven. We also read in Psalm 147 and verse 8 that God covers the heavens with clouds. So we're talking about the atmosphere. Again, in Genesis 1, in verse 20, in the creation week, God says, let the heavens be filled with birds that fly. It's the atmosphere, it's the sky above us that we are talking about here. Secondly, are the planetary heavens in which are the sun, the moon, the stars, and as we've been hearing lately, galaxies far beyond our imagination. But this is the planetary heavens. Again, in the creation account, Genesis 1, 14 and 15, we read that God said, let there be light. And then he creates lights in the heavens. He created the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night. In a similar way, God tells Abraham when he is questioning God's commitment to him and he says, Abraham, go out and look up into the heavens and count the stars if you're able. So shall your descendants be. Now, this is not just the atmosphere around the earth. This is space. This is planets. These are stars that Abraham's gazing up into the night sky and beholding. This second heaven could very well be what Solomon has in mind when he builds the temple. And he goes into the temple and he prays to God and he says, you are God and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Solomon is thinking about the starry heavens. These heavens cannot contain God. He's bigger than that. He's greater than that. As great as space is, it cannot contain God. These two heavens are primarily temporary. They are going to pass away. So both the atmospheric heaven and the planetary heavens are going to pass away and be replaced. You remember how the writer of Hebrews puts it when he says in Hebrews chapter 1, and he writes that, Lord, you in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. But then he says, they will perish, but you remain. They will grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will fold them up 
and they will be changed. My friends, there's a day coming where the atmospheric heavens, the planetary heavens are going to be folded up and put away. They're temporary. They're going to pass away. But then, thirdly, there are the eternal heavens. What Paul calls in 2 Corinthians 12, 2, verse we mentioned this morning, was a man I knew 14 years ago who was caught up into the third heaven. This heaven, my friends, is most likely the place God dwells in. It's the place where God lives. When Ecclesiastes 5, 2 warns us about not to be quick to speak when we come into the presence of God. It says the reason is because God is in heaven and you are on the earth. And so let your words be few. This is the eternal heavens. This is the place where God dwells. Through the prophet Isaiah, chapter 66 and verse 1, God said, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. In 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 22, Peter tells us that Christ has now gone into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. It is the third heaven that he has gone into. This third heaven is eternal. It will be to this heaven that we go when we die, when we pass into glory, when we enter into the heavens, it will be into this third eternal heaven. So what does Paul say in chapter 5 of Second Corinthians? We know that if this earthly house, this tent is destroyed, Brethren, one day this body will be no more. And what's going to happen then? Paul says, we know that when this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, not made by hands, eternal in the heavens. That is what we look forward to. Or think of the way Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, listen again to those words that we read this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then listen to his wording. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. My friends, that is the way Scripture speaks of our heavenly home, 
of our heavenly habitation. It is kept by God. It is reserved in heaven. It is incorruptible, undefiled. It will never fade away. It is eternal. So when you think of heaven, recognize the scripture uses the term in different ways to describe different places. But it's that third eternal heaven that we will enter into and abide in forever and ever. Secondly, I want us to talk about heaven and the biblical use of our life on earth. Now, if any of you have ever done any teaching, you know that one of the most helpful tools for people to learn what something is, is to learn what it is not. And so you draw a sharp contrast between one and the other. And that contrast gives clarity, gives meaning, gives depth to the idea of what one thing is in contrast to the other. Think about some of the recent parables that we've heard from the lips of our Savior. Particularly the parable of the wheat and the tares. And Jesus, when he explains that parable, says, one are the children of the kingdom of God and one are the children of the devil. Think about his admonition to to enter in by the narrow way that leads to life. There is a broad way that leads to death. It's a sharp contrast. That which is narrow, that which is broad, that which leads to life, that which leads to death and destruction. Now Paul does that here. In this passage that we have read, both in chapter 4 and then leading into chapter 5, he is, he is using our life on earth and contrasting that to our life in heaven. Now, see how he reminds us of something that most of us don't particularly like to think about. Chapter 4 and verse 16, he says, Our outward man is perishing. To put it a little more bluntly, brothers and sisters, we're all dying. We're going to die. These physical bodies are deteriorating. Some of us more rapidly than others. Some of us may know the pain and the suffering, the the affliction that Paul describes in this very passage. But even if that is not the case, none of us are going to be on this earth very long. Now we know that. But we don't always like to stop and think about it. Paul is saying, think about it. Our outward man is perishing. 
As a matter of fact, the the whole of God's word presses this truth upon us time and time again. Think about Job when he says, man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. It's like a flower. It's like a shadow. Isaiah was sent to the people of his day and the Lord says, cry. Cry to the people. And he says, what shall I cry? And the Lord says, you tell them. All flesh is like grass. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. The grass withers. The flower fades. This life is temporary. It's passing away. Mentioned before how I used to to look at someone who was 70 years old and I thought, man, that is ancient. Now, it's the prime of life. But 70, maybe 80, possibly 90. And my friends, our life on this earth will be over. In a few years, James chapter 4 and verse 14, what is your life? So if you were going to answer that question, what is your life? How would you describe it? Well, we all know how James describes it. It's a vapor. It's like a a puff of smoke that rises when you strike a match. And how long does it take for it to disappear that's our life brothers that's our life sisters even you young people you think you've got years and years and years ahead of you but we don't know what's coming and what Paul is driving home here is that our outward man is perishing we are dying every single One of us, young or old. But here's what I want you to see. That Paul does not regard that in a negative way. He does not take that reality and be discouraged by it. Quite the opposite. The temporary, the brevity, the uncertainty of life in this world stimulates him to think about the weight of glory, about life eternal in the heavens, about a building that God has made, not made with hands, but made by God. And that brings us, of course, to our third point, and that is heaven and the biblical use of our life in glory. Now, Paul doesn't ignore the realities of his physical condition. He does not pretend that it doesn't exist. In in verses 8 through 11, we did not read, but he says we are hard-pressed, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, We are struck down. We are carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. He he acknowledges 
hard things that are taking place, difficult things that are taking place. But he does not spend his time complaining, grumbling, or murmuring about those difficulties. Instead, he purposely and actively sets his mind on the glories of heaven. Look at verse 17. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us. The very trials and difficulties that you and I encounter day in and day out, they are working, and they're working for us. And they're working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. So my friends, the next time your life in this world begins to overwhelm you. The next time the heartbreaks are having a tremendous impact upon you. The next time the pain, the suffering, the afflictions, the trials, the difficulties are beginning to come wave upon wave upon wave, then stop And think about, consider three things. Number one, consider the work of renewal that is taking place day by day. Our outward man is perishing, but our inward man is being renewed day by day. My friends, every time you read God's word, every time you pray, every time you come to the worship, the public worship of God, every time, parents, you teach your children the truths of the scriptures, stop and think about the work that is going on within your own soul every day. That we are being changed from one degree of glory to another by the Spirit of God. Yes, it might not be happening as fast as we would like. But it's still a great and glorious work that God is doing. Our inward man is being renewed. Secondly, consider the work that God is doing right now, preparing a building not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, this can be a little bit difficult because, as Paul says, these are things that are unseen. And so it's kind of hard for us to figure out, well, what, what exactly does that mean? And I think the words of 1 John 3 and verse 2 are very helpful. When, when he tells us what we shall be, when Christ returns, what we shall be has not yet been revealed. 
We don't really know. We don't understand. We can read this very description of building from God, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. But what does that mean exactly? Well, we may not be able to define it thoroughly, but we are being changed, and God is working. He's molding, he's fashioning, he's putting together this eternal building that we will have when this earthly tent is dissolved. We're going to have an eternal habitation. Thirdly, consider and consider much the glory that awaits you. Again, let Scripture only be your guide and guard your meditations. What we have here should be more than enough to fill your heart with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Think about the way Paul describes this here. One day, my friends, one day, your faith is going to be changed to sight. You're not just going to believe it because God's word says it. You're going to see it. Again, those words of John. What we shall be has not yet been revealed, but we know that when we see him, we will be made like him. We're going to be made perfect in holiness. That should be our greatest joy. Think about the fact that one day, as Paul says here, mortality is going to be swallowed up in life. Your physical mortality, the weakness of this flesh, the deteriorating nature of this flesh is going to be swallowed up in life, eternal life, and it will never change. Think much about the fact that one day we are going to be absent from these frail bodies. And when that happens, we're going to be present with the Lord. To me, that's the culminating factor here as Paul describes the, the hardships, the decline of our physical bodies in chapter 4 and goes on to talk about that eternal heavenly home that we are going to enter in, he says we're going to be pleased to be absent from these bodies and we're going to be present with the Lord. I kind of jumped the gun, I think, last week when I chose When This Passing World Is Done to sing as a hymn last week. should have been this week. What McShane says is one day we are going to love him with 
unsinning heart. Can you even fathom what it will be like to love Christ without any sinful limitations? We're going to be present with the Lord. Our greatest longing when it comes to thinking about heaven and desiring heaven should be the unbroken unhindered fellowship with Christ when we are in the presence of the Lord. Such thoughts, my friends, will make you... It's a very interesting phrase that Peter uses in 2 Peter 3 and verse 12 when he talks about the day of the Lord. And he says, looking for it. And we understand that. We're looking, we're longing, we're waiting for it. But then he says, hastening the day of the Lord. We want it. We want it sooner rather than later. And it reminds me of those closing words of the book of Revelation. The spirit and the bride say, Come, let him who hears say, come. We want to see the Lord. We want to be present with the Lord. And when the Lord himself says, surely I am coming quickly. John responds, even so, Lord, come, come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Is that the desire of your heart tonight? This heavenly being, this heavenly home is going to be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we are often cold and dull in our affections. Far too often this world and all its treasures has taken captive our hearts. Oh Lord, help us by your word, by your spirit, to set our minds on things above where Christ is. And long for that day when he shall appear and we shall appear with him in glory. We pray in his name. Amen.